family um, last week was on a vacation to Colorado. We took our vacation um, fasting and praying <laughs> for America. Amen. And it was glorious. And uh, we're going to have um, a couple people share a little bit about their experience um, in just a little bit. But before we get there, um, we actually have some sad news today. Um, one of our longstanding staff members um, is saying goodbye. And so today we're saying um, goodbye to our good brother, Joe. Joe, why don't you come on up here? Let's give him a hand as he comes on up. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, um, for those of you who haven't got to know Joe, Joe um, has been out for a little while. I don't know if you guys knew this, but he's been having um, back pain for a while now. And um, that was really difficult for him and his family and his work and, and everything. And um, But I just really want to commend him. You know, even during all of that, he was still really faithful with a lot of the stuff um, that he was doing here at TKC. A lot, as a lot of you know, he's been um, in charge of our cafe ministry. And um, he has done such an amazing job um, with the cafe. I don't know if you guys know this, but our cafe supports um, a, a, a compassion kid. So when you buy, you know, uh, a cup of coffee from our cafe, um, that money, nobody is getting rich off of your <laughs> off of your money, right? It's going to support um, the kids that we're supporting um, through compassion. And um, Joe was really the first person that um, really took the cafe and really um, handled it responsibly and faithfully. And because of him... Um, in large measure, I mean, a lot of other people, too, are volunteering, but really because of his leadership, um, it's really become something that is um, an awesome, an awesome part of our ministry, and we're fully expecting that it's going to continue to grow. So even though he won't be here with us anymore at BTM, um, you'll still see him in the cafe and at LifePoint and, and all that stuff. And I, I just want to take a, a second and just say, you know, um, Joe came on staff how many years ago, Joe? It's like two and a half years ago, something like that. Joe is one of our... Um, Part of our first crop of staff members, when I first came into BTM, um, we had no staff. And I remember I was praying, I was like, God, we could really use some staff people. And, um, you know, Joe came up to me um, not that long after that, and he was like, hey, um, you know, are, are you interested in having staff? And, and I remember just thinking, like, wow, this is an answer to prayer, right? Like, Joe um, was definitely, like, a huge answer to prayer. We really needed older male leadership. And he came on um, at a time where we really needed him. And um, he's been a huge blessing um, to our community. And so, Joe, um, we want to say thank you. But first, um, before we say thank you officially, we, um, I wanted to give him a, a chance to address everybody. He said he had something that he kind of wanted to say. <laughs> okay. So I don't get the mic often, so I'm just going to take this time to rebuke everyone, um, starting with this row. Um, but, yeah, honestly, when I came on, and even still to this day, I believe in the mission of BTM. I believe that... God is doing something crazy in this room, and especially for Southern California. The, I, the way I see you guys so into each other and the community, not just this community, but even um, groups with Lou Angles, the call ministry, all that stuff. The way you guys sew into it, you guys aren't sewing into a man's vision. You guys are really doing something that a God movement. And... That was the really main reason why, uh, and also Pastor Dennis himself, like, the reason why I wanted to join this ministry. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sad to be leaving, but I know, yeah, you guys are so blessed here at BTM with the staff who are still here, with his leadership, with just everything you guys are doing on your own, too, to grow your faith. And it's so awesome. Um, I know a lot of you guys are going to graduate and come up and join me in LifePoint, so I'll see you then. And I'll see you pretty much every Sunday down at Cafe, too. So, yeah, thank you, guys. 
All right, just as a, as, a, as a very, very small token of our gratitude for you, we got you something, we got you something that Lauren's going to bring up here. This is just a thank you card um, from us on staff, and um, we love you, man. Thank you so much for, for being part of BTM and for serving us over this year. Would you just stretch out your hand? We're just going to pray for Joe here. Father, we thank you for our brother Joe, Lord, who's been such a great blessing um, to our community and just a great um, model and, of, of servant leadership, Lord God. And Father, we've been um, so honored, Lord God, to have him um, here um, as a staff member at BTM. And Father, we just bless him, Lord God, as he goes. We pray that this next season of his life would be so incredibly blessed. And we thank you for um, the surgery that he got and that his back is feeling better. We thank you so much for that, Lord. And we thank you for the friendship, Lord, that we have that we, that we pray will endure and persist. And Father, we thank you that we're all part of one family, Lord God. And we're, we're all doing um, the same mission of serving your kingdom, Lord God. So we thank you. Um, for our continued fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, next, um, we have a number of people who have been, you know, doing all sorts of crazy stuff this summer. So I wanted to provide a little bit of um, time for them to give testimonies. I've told them two minutes or less. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, who's, who's up? I tell you, like, my mind is blanking. Come up here, Tim. And then every, everyone else, Joyce and um, Jolliver and, um, and David, yes. Cool. Um, all right, I'll just pray real quick. Father, we thank you so much for this day, God. I thank you for all the things that you're doing in um, not just my life, Father, but everyone in this ministry. And so, Father, um, as I testify, would you speak through me, God? Um, Holy Spirit, be with us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I went to Contend this past week. Um, yeah, it was uh, hosted by The Call. It was basically we're contending for America. Um, and so, you know, right when I got there off the plane, I felt the presence of God and I got slain. No, I'm just kidding. Then, so <laughs> my testimony, like, I, I wish that happened, right, the second day I speak in tongues. But actually throughout the whole trip, it was so hard for me. Um, and so... What I'm going to be sharing is basically like what I believe God did, even though I may not have felt it, but what I'm really truly believing that God did. And so prior to this, um, I was with PD for, since my freshman year. So the, goal, or the mission of this um, ministry has been the same, campus revival for Global Harvest, right? Um, and so I didn't really understand it though. My passion and my vision behind that vision was just through a man, this guy, right? And so I would try, like the call would come. David Kim would come from the call and, like, try to get us, you know, mobilize us. And every single time, I remember I felt the presence of God, but the vision wasn't my vision. So it was so difficult for me to, like, either lead house church or, you know, lead or go evangelize and stuff. And so what I really believe that God did was um, help me understand what these guys are doing, right? They're not just, like, wasting their lives for some, like, dumb purpose. But it, I believe God opened my eyes to see, like, I need to, like, start, like, seeking after this, right? Because they're not, these people are, like, like, Lou, he's, like, 70, and he did it, or he's something, 60, 70. He's been doing it for 40 years, and it doesn't make sense to me that he would, he'd be compelled to do it for 40 years if it wasn't true, if he didn't see it. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys, if you're in the same place as me, you know, you got to seek after it. Amen.
voice. Fit this. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, I went to contend last. Oh, my name's Jonathan. Um, I'm rising senior at UC Santa Barbara. I went to contend last year. So this is my second time going, and um, it was like similar experience, but at the same time, it was like a world different. Um, I think the main thing is kind of like what Tim was talking about. I always my paradigm of like revival, like a good chunk of it came from Pastor Dennis, or like came from people that I like like pastors or, or like um, people like Lou Engel. And so like I didn't have a personal paradigm like what what is revival like to me type of thing. Like it's such a broad thing. And what I felt like the Lord did this time for me is that like he gave me like a real understanding um, of like the cost of it. Because they were just going off on like the cost of revival. Like they would give all these short one-liner quotes like if you want revival, like you need to die. Or like if, like, if you want revival, like you'll never be famous. You'll never, be, you'll never have a platform. And they're just saying like, like David Kim had this supreme example where it's just like um, the people, the Levites, when they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they travel six steps. And then every six steps, they give like an offering. And then uh, he was saying like the Lord said to him like, David, if you can move the Ark of Revival for America six steps for, w in exchange for your life, would you do it? Like only six steps. And he, it wouldn't even, that's all he did in his life. All he did is just move it six steps. And then, so I feel like the Lord really imparted that cost. But more than the cost, I was like, God, you're so worthy. Like, you're so willing for, like, you're so willing. Like, I want to do that because of you. Like, I want to be a part of, like, my father's business. Like, I want to be directly injected into his storyline. And, like, um, yeah, I think just, like, more specifically, like, my parents have always been, my parents aren't saved. And so they've always been, like, really opposed to anything related to Christianity. And so, um, and I felt like during one of the ministry times there, like, I felt like the Lord was, like, like showing me a picture pretty much where it's like, it's Jesus and my parents. And he was like, which one will you choose? And I just started like weeping because I was like, like, I don't want to be disowned like by my family. And then like Pastor Dennis was there and then he was praying for me. And I was like, dude, Pastor Dennis, I'm so scared. Like, I don't want to be like homeless or like, I don't want to, I don't know, like food. I don't know how to like, deal with food or like all these things. I was like, taxes, I don't even know how to like do that. Like, I was like, I suck at doing my own laundry. Like, I don't even know how to do that. And I was like, all these things, I was like, Pastor Jess, I'm so scared. I was so scared. Like, um, I was like, I want to do it. Like, I want to choose Jesus. Like, even if my parents are not for it, like, even if they don't want, like, even if that's not part of what they understand, like, I know at the end of the age, like, it'll be worth it in Je with Jesus. Like, I know that revival, like, like, when I go to heaven, I'll see Jesus. And I, I just, like, it's my desire that he would just be like, Jonathan, you are highly esteemed and greatly loved in heaven. Everyone knew you in heaven. And your earth in this life, what you did in this life on earth, they, they saw that and it was highly esteemed that you were put in the hallways of heaven. And I don't say that, you know, in a prideful way, but it's just like I want to store my treasures in heaven and not this life. You know, I don't care about how I look or how I sound or like what I'm like, what I come off as because I know this is a part of what God wants and what he wants to do. And um that's, that's all I need to do it. So um, that was pretty much um, what I felt like. And now I'm just, I just have really strong faith, like, for America and for our ministry and just going back to Santa Barbara during the school year. And um, I'm just really not of faith. It doesn't feel like hype because a lot of it was, like, really sober. So I'm just really excited and, like, really thankful for what the Lord did. And, yeah, so praise God, really. Father, I just thank you, God. 
And Father, I just pray, God, for every person in this room right now, Lord, that you would put on their heart, God, what you desire, what you care about in this hour, Lord. Lord, in this dying world right now, God, God, in America, we need a revival, Father. Father, it is the only option, God. It's not a good idea. It's not a good suggestion, God. We need it, God. It's the only way out, God. And Lord, we need it. So, Father, I pray every person here, every man, every woman, Lord, you would impart the same desire, same burden, God, in their hearts as well, Jesus. Even for the people, God, who they've never experienced, they have no understanding, Lord, I just pray, God, you give them faith to trust in you, Jesus. Lord, you give them, God, a real understanding. Lord, I just pray, God, only, only intimacy with you. And, Father, at last, I just pray, God, that the times of simple, just simply only intimacy with you would be over, God. But God, I pray you'd raise up a generation, Father, who would go out and conquer, God, who would go out and contend for the things of your heart, Father. Lord, intimacy moves your heart, God, but dominion gives you glory, God. We want to give you glory in this hour. So, Father, we just release that, God. People in this room, all of us just want to give you all the glory in our lives, Lord. So we just impart that in faith, Jesus. Just even when we walk out of this room, God, give us new wisdom and creativity, Lord, how we would do this in tangible ways. So, Lord, just give us that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, hi, I'm Joyce. I'm 20. And um, before we, sorry, I just wanted to share for those who don't know me. But can we pray before? Um, <laughs> okay. Ooh, Jesus, um, I just thank you, God, that you perfectly love me, God, um, so that I don't have to be scared of anything. <laughs> and I can share whatever um, that is on your heart. Well, however you bless me, I thank you, God, for this opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sorry, I, like, talk really fast when I'm nervous. So, and I'm, like, not really good at public speaking, but have mercy on me. Thank you. Um, so, this past three weeks, I was in Panama, and I went to contend as well. And so, like, I'm going to share a little more about contend. Um, I was really thankful because I've been to Panama, and, like, God was just, like, building up my faith in Panama. And um, I was really thankful because I was able to go into contend with, like, a lot of faith. And, but then I feel like, because I had, like, zero heart for America. I had, like, zero heart for America. Like, I didn't care about it. Like, I went past the gym and was, like, preaching to about America. I was just trying so hard, but my heart was so hardened, like, to America. But, um, and I believe when I was going into content, too, my heart was hardened, even though I was, like, God, I'm, like, ready to receive, like, your heart for America. But um, I think because I just came out of missions, and my heart is more oriented towards overseas and stuff. So, um. I think my heart was still hardened, like, genuinely. But, um, yeah, I think something that God uh, really revealed to me, um, and he, like, connected, like, overseas and uh, America, too, and in this way. And um, so, like, there were these, like, whole bunch of, like, speakers, and they're, like, crazy people. And, like, they're, like, I don't know. They just do crazy things. Like, and they're, like, speakers that are, like, that did, like, crazy miracles. And they're, like, when they're in high school and all these things. So I was, like, wow, like. Like, my faith was really being built up, but I think um, when they're sharing about, like, miracles and when they're sharing about, like, all these crazy, like, spiritual warfare things, like, God was showing me that miracles don't only happen overseas. Uh, spiritual warfare doesn't only happen overseas because all these things I experienced overseas. So I was like, okay, nothing's going to happen in America because we're all spoiled. Like, we have everything. Like, we have hospitals, like, left and right. Um, but, yeah, I think God really showed me that, <laughs> that America needs it so much, like, the miracles happening, like, the spiritual warfare, we need to realize that, like, we're still soldiers here, like, God is our commander, like, in every nation, and, like, oh, that was, like, really hard for me to accept, just because of how hurt I was in America, but I think through that, he, like, really healed my heart in that process, and 
And uh, it was crazy because in the beginning, it was so hard. Like, I'm pretty sure every content person could testify that it was the hardest thing ever. Like, I was like, oh, my God, nothing's happening. I'm just praying and sitting for, like, hours. But, um, no, legit, that's how it is. Like, we're just listening, praying, worshiping for hours and hours, and our breaks are only two hours. But, but God blesses in return. And, um, like, another thing that really blessed me was that I know my heart was, like, really hardened in the beginning. But, um, like, God pursued me so much, like, so hard. And he was showing me that there's greater things than miracles. There's greater things than, like, spiritual warfare and, like, salvation. And I realized that because as my heart was hardened and I was realizing God was pursuing after me so hard, um, I thought, like, how much more is his heart and how much more is he going to pursue those that don't even know Jesus in America? And uh, that just, like, really broke my heart. And, like, I realized, dang, like, America freaking needs Jesus. Like, because I feel like even overseas, like, there's so many, like, there's so many countries that are in poverty, and, like, like a part of me feels like it's so much easier to, like, meet God and to receive Christ. But in America, like, we have so many things that can't see God, and, like, everything else is, like, blocking our vision from God. And, and I realized, dang, like, America is still, like, a, like, we're still, like, stuck in, like, dark racism and things like that. So, yeah, that is my testimony. Thank you. Hi guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just came back from a mission trip. Uh, hi, hi, hi. Uh, with other couple other people here. Southeast Asia team, where you at? Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, uh, we actually went uh, two weeks ago. We went to Philippines with like uh, I believe like thirty people, and from there we hit three different countries. We hit the Philippines, we hit uh, Laos. No, sorry, we have four countries. We met in the Philippines. Sorry, I'm kind of jet-lagged. I only slept two hours last night, so excuse me if my mind's a little jumbled. But um, yeah, and Vietnam. We did a lot of ministry there, and then uh, we split off to Myanmar, Laos, and Vietnam. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about Laos and um, just what God did in my heart, what he just showed me. Um, oh, man, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um, <clears throat> up until this trip... Uh, I don't understand what it meant to be, uh, like, just urgent for the gospel. I've been to many mission, mission trips. I've been going to, this year, uh, I'll be going to Mexico for my 10th time, like, 10th year in a row. It's crazy. I've been, like, going for so long. But I don't completely, like, understand and grasp what it means to pray for people who don't know the gospel. And until I came to Laos. And Laos, if you guys don't know, is a communist country. So, and it's 95% Buddhist, 2% Christian. And so we actually, we, we didn't actually reach out to the Laotians there, but we actually reached out to a group called the Hmong, H-M-O-N-G. You guys can look them up. They're actually, um, they're not, uh, so they don't have their own country. Just a little background. They don't have their own country. They're, imagine a bunch of Koreans. We didn't have Korea, but we just spread out all over the place. So Hmongs, they're all over, like, like, uh, like, like Vietnam, Myanmar, all the, basically all the Southeast Asian countries. Uh, a lot of them are located in Laos and um, there's just a lot of hurt and broken behind it. And, man, just, just going there, I, like, my heart broke so much. Because um, they don't have, like, crazy church buildings, you know. And the people there, <clears throat> they listen, the, the way they listen to the word of God is through tapes. That's how they listen. And you don't have pastors. We went to five churches in a row. None of them have pastors. None of them. For us, we were the first missionaries to ever go there and preach the gospel to them. We were the first preachers, actually. 
to ever preach the gospel to them. Because most of them, all, all they hear is, is from tapes. It's from, it's from Hmong pastors in the United States that would send over tapes to them. And <clears throat> it just broke my heart because there's so many pe people there that are so hurt. So many families that are broken. Um, like like uh, a lot of our sisters shared, and there's a lot of generational like pain within families. Fathers abusing their daughters and fathers just leaving and taking affairs. And it's just very common in Hmong culture. And when these sisters are translators, they're from North Carolina, they got southern accents. It's kind of weird just seeing Asians with southern accents. But they, would, they would just go and they would just, they would just share their testimonies. And they, they would start weeping. And you just see in the whole room, the Holy Spirit just ministering to the whole, like, just these people. And, and you just see the woman just crying and understanding all these pain. And you see the father starting to repent. And it's just, it's just, it's just, it just broke my heart because there's, there's so many, like, people there. And, like, God just pounded, like, I felt like in my heart, like, God, you got to share this with BTM, you know. Like, the harvest is so plenty out there. And it's just Laos that we just talked. You know, we, we just, it's just a specific group of people that we just tackle. You know, I, I wonder, like, even, like, North Korea, you know. The harvest is so plenty there, you know. And there's, there's it's so plentiful. And the laborers are so few. And I, I just, I was just so shocked to realize that we were the first people to, be their missionaries, and it was such an honor, and I just, I was so shocked, because these people, they'd be so hungry, and ready to, there's one church, they were just, they were just ready, they were just ready, waiting for us, their Bibles were open, they were, they were, everything in the book was highlighted, you know, and they were like, ready to take notes, and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like, so special, I feel like, I'm like, Todd White or something, going to preach and read the gospel or something, you know, it's just, it's just, and they just want to hear the word of God, you know, and a lot of them, they have a lot of pain, like I mentioned before with family, I forgot why I mentioned that, but it's because, a lot of them, they actually, there's a lot of shaman worshipers. If you guys know what shaman is, uh, shamanism is, basically they pray to a demon to protect their families from other demons. But it's, it's really demonic because when they, whenever the demons want something, they would inflict pain or, or, just, or just sickness throughout the whole family. Not just one per individual, but the whole family. And so after service, we see like a bunch of people just come up and we were like, we got to go. Because we hit three churches a day. So we got to like move, move. It's like two hour drives apart, like all these churches. And so you just see a bunch of, like, women in the front saying, I got stomach pains. I got this and this. Some of them are manifesting demons. And we were, like, praying. And there was one time where we were just praying for this woman. She was, like, like she couldn't stop shaking when we prayed for her. She couldn't say the name of Jesus. And we just prayed for her an hour you know, after. We were, like, we, we thought we were done with ministry, you know. We were, like, tired. It's, like, 11 o'clock. We are like, oh, we got to pray for this woman, you know. And, but that's how, they, that's how they receive Jesus, though. Like, it's so crazy and mind-blowing to me that, <clears throat> that that's how they make Jesus Lord. You know, once I take it, like, it's, I just felt like the Bible was coming alive. Like, like, just seeing, like, how they were, like, we were being like Jesus, like, casting out demons. And through that, they made Jesus Lord, you know. Because a lot of them, they believe who Jesus was. They believe that they needed a Savior. But Jesus wasn't Lord in their lives. And so, just seeing that, and then that, and just seeing that happen in a lot of people's lives, and that breaks generational curses, and seeing how God's moving. And, like, there's so much more I want to, like, share. I know I only got two minutes. I already went overtime, but... I just feel like, I just feel like, you know, this is for even America, like, you know how, like, what Contend is doing is amazing because we're praying that God would send a harvest. And it says at the end that the harvest is plenty, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send out laborers. I believe that America, we have so much. We preach the gospel here every weekend. But in Laos, North Korea, and Southeast Asia, they don't get the gospel every week, you know. I believe God is, you know, sending people, not just to go, I used to interpret Acts 1-8, to the ends of the earth. It's actually to the end, the end of the earth, until the end. We're supposed to go. All of us are called to partake in the Great Commission until the end. 
And I believe us here today, like, God wants to do something, especially with young, younger people in this generation. You know, God asked me before I left, you know, Oliver was turning, like, you know, with, with parents, like, I have to give up my parents and things like that. I was, like, in, I, I remember at the last service, I was in the room, like, kneeling. I was crying. I was like, God, I've got to give up Chipotle. i got to give up In-N-Out. i got to give up good weather. i got to give up, like, friends. I'm going to have mad FOMO. But, Lord, I, 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 I was like, God, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared to give all these things up, you know. I love Chipotle. But it's just, <laughs> it's like, I love Mexican food, you know? Like, dude, we had, we had pho there every day, every morning. It's okay. Like, pho back here is really better. But, like, these are the things that you have to give up. And I was like, God, I mean, honestly, God, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. But, Lord, the people here need to hear your gospel. The people here need to know your love. The people need to know that there is a Savior and that there is a God that saved them and the God that loves them. And a lot of them, they don't know that. And so, I just want to impart that upon you guys just to encourage you guys to go. Go on missions. Pray. Keep praying that God will send another harvest. Yeah. Father, we just, we just come before you, God. Lord, um, Father, you say in your word, the one who finds his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. Lord, I pray, God, in this generation, Lord, that we will lose ourselves, God. That we will not make ourselves our idols, God. Father, we are our idols, God, here. Father, we lay ourselves down, God, before you. And, God, we make you first. Father, remind us the most important thing in our lives is to love you, Lord. It's just to love you, God. It's not doing ministry right, God, or doing it correctly, Lord. But it's to simply love you, God. So, Father, fill us up, God. Anoint us. And, Father, would you send out laborers, God, in Southeast Asia in the 1040 window, God. Would you send out laborers, God, in the, in the persecuted church, God. And Father, would you raise this generation in America to fall in love with you, God. To simply fall in love with you. Remind us, God, what you've done for us. So God, would you show us uh, what it means to just fall in love with you. Would you show us your love for us, God. Lord, we thank you. Anoint your servants here. Father, stir something up in this generation. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for sharing. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 6. Um, as you're doing that, um, I'm going to read you a scripture from Romans chapter 12. It says this, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What the scripture is telling us is that if we allow God to renew our minds, then what happens is his commands make perfect sense to us. When our minds are not renewed, we're like, why are you commanding me to do that? Why are you telling me to do this? Why are you telling me to do this? And what we're constantly drawn to do is stuff that everybody else is doing, right? This is stuff everybody else is doing, and God's telling us to do that. And we're like, oh, but why? I don't understand why I have to do this stuff, God. Well, what Scripture is saying is that your mind is not renewed. It's not been renewed by the Scripture. It has not been um, enlightened, right? This is why Paul praises, pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, right, by a spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? That's his prayer. Oh, let it be enlightened so that you would know the hope of his calling, right? This is, this is the Scripture's prayer is that your mind would be transformed by God's Word. That's why Jesus said, if, if my Word abides in you, right, then it will bear much fruit unto eternal life. That's the same idea. It's his word alive inside of us, making us go, yes, I see why you're telling us to do this. I see why these are your commands in our lives. From that perspective, obeying his commands are just make perfect sense. It just makes total sense. Of course I should do that. 
right? But when our minds are unrenewed, we're in a constant tug of war with God. God wants me to do those things I don't want to do, right? And so what we need to do is we need to ask God to transform our minds, to give us understanding about why he commands us with the commands that he gives us. And I'll say this, we need our minds to be formed according to the Bible's spiritual worldview. This is really important, right? The Bible gives us a worldview that's primarily spiritual. The world, at least in the part that we're in, gives us a worldview that's primarily materialistic and physical. The spiritual worldview of the Bible, it's, it argues that there's this entire invisible realm Right? Where these invisible beings are doing stuff. And it says that's the primary world. That's the real world. And this physical world, we're the semi-real world. That's weird. Because we live in that semi-real world. Right? So it's hard for us to think that there's this other world that's actually more important than this world. But if you believe what this whole kingdoms, it actually says that this world is a battleground of warring spiritual kingdoms. That there's these various spiritual powers and they're fighting amongst one another for the hearts of men, for the obedience of men. And that what happens in the earth, what happens according to history is all the outgoing, it's the outflow of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Do you understand? It's primarily a spiritual worldview. And that conflicts a lot with how we grew up and how we learn to see the world. Because the way we grow up and the way we learn to see the world is primarily physical. It's primarily mundane. That's why it's difficult for us when we read the scriptures and we read some of this stuff, we're like, that's weird, right? Like Jesus is casting out demons. And we're like, did that really happen? You know, like if we, you know, if we've been going to church for a while, then we go, yeah, of course it happened. But then go, okay, okay, but maybe there's a demon that's oppressing you right now that we need to cast out. And you're like, whoa, wait a second here, Right? Maybe a demon is involved in this, and you're like, whoa, wait a second. That is conflicting with my worldview. That's weird when you say it like that, right? Oh, that's why we should pray so that God will actually do something. You're like, whoa, wait a second. That conflicts with my worldview, this weird thing. Why would it make a difference if I pray? And, but, I, but the scripture says that I should pray, but I don't feel like it does anything, right? And, and we're in conflict constantly because our minds are discipled more by the world than by the scriptures. Am I making sense? My point is this, for the vast majority of Christians, we are still very immature. We're still very immature. And what I want us to do is look in John 6, because what we see is an example of this very thing. Jesus' mind is primarily thinking in terms of spiritual reality and spiritual truth. But people always interpret him physically, right? That's what happens over and over and over and over again, because his worldview is different. Does this make sense? So we see this in John chapter 6. If you go all the way down to verse 52, okay? And to set up the context here, Jesus has just divided the food. He multiplied the food, right? He fed 5,000 men. That's not including women and children. It was probably something like 20,000 people there, right? And in, the, in those times, 20,000 was like the whole region, right? Like everyone and their mom is here to listen to Jesus, Right? They're all here, and he does this amazing miracle. He multiplies food, okay? And people are really impressed, so they're following him around, right? And he starts off this whole thing by rebuking them. He says, don't seek, right, the food that 
that perishes, right? Don't seek the food that's physical in nature, but seek the food that gives you eternal life. That's his message, right? So he's saying, look, you guys have been following because you think I'll give you free food, right? But he says, I've got something even greater than that, right? I've got food that if you eat it, will bear eternal life. And if you eat it, you'll never be hungry, right? And they're like, give us that food, right? That, that's, that sounds awesome, right? I want that food. And then Jesus drops the bomb on them. He says, I am that food, right? And he says, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, then you'll live forever. And they're like, like, is this some kind of like hidden camera thing? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like, what, what, what's going on here? They don't, they don't get it, right? They don't get it. And in verse 52, it says this, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food. And my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Amen. There's a conflict here. Jesus is trying to teach them truths of this higher spiritual realm. And he's using, English, he's using human words, right? He's using a natural language they can understand. And he's making these metaphorical analogies, right? He's analogizing this idea of food and drink that they understand. But he's trying to say that there's a spiritual way that's like food and drink. And you have to eat spiritually. And they can't understand. They're like, what the heck? What are you talking about? And see, the thing about Jesus is he doesn't clarify. He doesn't clarify. And this is a principle in Scripture that throughout his preaching, Jesus, on purpose says things that he could have made more clear, but refuses to. Now, that seems kind of jacked up, right? Because, like, I try and make it myself as clear as possible, right? I don't go, like, David, just come here, man. You eat this, you're going to live forever, right? And David's like, what, are you crazy? And I just go, <laughs> right? I don't do that. I try and make it clear what I'm talking about, but Jesus doesn't. And here's a principle that you need to understand. God oftentimes doesn't make it as clear as he could to you, right? He doesn't make his will as clear as he could to you. He doesn't make it easy for you. Why? Because this is a test, my friends. This is a test that we're living in, right? And the whole idea is that he's testing your hearts. The word of God tests your hearts, right? And you can tell, how do you fail the test? You become offended at his words. 
That's the way you fail the test. When God speaks, when it causes offense in your heart and you leave, right? You failed the test. And that's what happened. The story says that the entire region was coming out to him. Why? Because he was a miracle worker. He was making food. He was healing the sick. People were impressed by his supernatural gifts. But when he tried to give them the real treasure that he had come to give, right, they were offended with him. And they rejected his words, and they went away. Brothers and sisters, this is the state that our nation is finding itself in. Right? Our nation is increasingly offended with the word of the Lord. And even us as Christians, I'll say this, to the degree that we become discipled by the world, we'll find God's words increasingly offensive to us, right? That's why over and over in Scripture, it says, right, a broken and contrite spirit I will not deny, right? If you humble yourself before me, I'll lift you up, right? When we come to God, we have to come as little children, he says. If anyone will come to the kingdom, he must become like a little child. Why? Because a little child is, it doesn't, understands that he doesn't know everything. He needs to be taught. Right? Even though the little child expects that he is not going to understand, like he gets told something, he's like, I don't really get it, but I trust this guy. Right? That's kind of like a little child. And over and over again in Scripture, the warning is do not harden your heart. Right? The criticism is always right, these stiff-necked people right, whose hearts are hardened. And that's what Jesus says, if anybody has ears to hear, let them hear. And over and over again, God is challenging us with his word. And understand, his word is perfect. So there's a problem here. If his word is perfect and I'm imperfect, I should expect that there are going to be some things that he says that are hard for me to receive. See, what a lot of people want is they want a God who never says anything that they wouldn't say. You know what that is? That means they want themselves to be God. But when God comes to us, he comes as he is, and he gives us the opportunity, you have the opportunity to learn or to reject. And God gives all of us that same opportunity. And the way he gives it to us, he gives it, give it to us as a mystery. Everyone say mystery. God speaks to us as a mystery. There's so many prophecies that I've received in my life that I'm like, I don't know what that means right now, right? God often speaks in mystery to us. Guess what? The Bible is a great mystery. It's given to you as a mystery. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he says, how can I have eternal life? Right? He says, well, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, huh? I got to get back into my mom's womb and be born again? He doesn't get it. And then Jesus rebukes him, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? <laughs> What's the point? God is constantly challenging us with mystery. Why? Because Three tests our trust. It tests our humility. Right? There's two dangers. Number one, I already mentioned, you can be offended with the word of God and say, I don't want it, and leave. Right? But the second is you can become so confused by it that you're just like, I don't get it. And eventually, what do you do? You leave. Right? There's two aspects to this. Because the mystery, even if you're not offended by it, you can be confused by it. And see, it's intended, the idea is that when there's real hunger, when you go, God, I don't know what you're saying right now, but I believe that what you said is really valuable and I need to figure it out. What happens is that our heart goes on a journey of seeking to understand the truth. And that's 
That's the nature of the kingdom. There's always going to be a seeking element to it. We have, Our hearts have to persevere through a process to receive revelation. This is an important dynamic in the kingdom. People want it, spoon-fed to them. God, I showed up to that event, and I was hoping that you'd do something. You didn't really do anything, so you're, you failed. That's the implication, right? No, 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 no. No, that's not. Now, he says, he says to the one who asks, who, and, and the, the Greek there is the one who keeps on asking, right? He receives. The one who seeks, the one who keeps on seeking, he finds. The one who keeps on knocking, the door is open to them. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you. If you want a biblical worldview, it does not come easy. Okay, many of us went to Colorado. I warned them beforehand, what you're going to do is you're going to pray for hours every day. You're going to be fasting the whole time, right? What happens is your flesh is like, no, no, right? But I tell you, you have to go through things like this, right? This is, the, this is the nature of how God designed us. Let me put it to you another way. We are designed to only value things that we work hard for, right? You go to Las Vegas, you put in a quarter, psh, you get a thousand bucks. You're like, I got a free thousand bucks, right? It doesn't feel like it's your money, right? You just start spending, you start buying nice dinners, right? You buy a nice present for yourself. It doesn't feel like it's yours, right? You win the lottery, you know what they say? They say something like, 90% of people who win the lottery end up bankrupt within X amount of years, right? This is, this is, it, this is how it works with us. Let me put it to you another way. You win, the, you win a little mineral lottery, you win $10,000. That $10,000 is probably going to go pretty fast. But let me say this. If you work really hard for that $10,000, you are going to be very careful about how you spend that money, right? Why? Because that money represents a lot of hard work that you put into it. This is the same way that it works in the kingdom, okay? If you want the deeper treasures of the kingdom, it requires work. God is not quick to just give it to people. Why? Because these are actually the most valuable things in existence, right? This is why it's hard. This is why I, I never try and sugarcoat it. Following God is hard. It ain't easy. Guess what? The mysteries of the universe have been locked inside a book that's really hard to understand. And it's in like old Hebrew and Greek, right? It's not easy to understand. You read this thing and you're like, okay, I have no idea what you're trying to say here. But again, the question is, but do you believe that he gave it to us for a reason? That's what's being tested, right? Do we believe that there's, some, there's something valuable in this thing that God has given to us and said, this is really valuable, <laughs> right? Do we believe him or not? And I'll tell you this. This is the difference of people who have wisdom and who do, who do not. Those who have decided God, even though I don't really understand it, I'm devoting myself to understand it. Right? And those who give up so easily and say, well, I would rather do all these other things in the world. I would rather do that. Then what happens is you never develop a kingdom mindset. You never get the renewed mind. You never let God shape your understanding of reality. You stay locked in a materialistic understanding of the world. Okay, you say locked in a materialistic understanding of the world. In that understanding, in that paradigm, in that worldview, the physical, material world is all there is. There's no God, no spirits, no afterlife. I have a quote here from Sam Harris, who's a very famous um, atheist. And he says, It is merely an accident of history that it is considered normal in our society to believe that the creator of the universe can hear your thoughts 
while it is demonstrative of mental illness to believe that he is communicating with you by having the rain tap in Morse code on your bedroom window. So he's saying, look, if you're lying there and it's raining and you hear these taps and you're like, you're like oh, it's like a code and God's speaking to me. Like we hear about somebody like that and then we go, that person's crazy, right? But because that happened to Abraham, right, 4,000 years ago, right, we're like, hmm, we all have to read this book. Does this make sense? That's what Sam is saying. He's saying, look, God, and wrote an accident, right, that this guy Abraham felt like he heard from God and wrote down this stuff, and then this other guy believed, and so he wrote down more stuff, and now we have this book that is total accident that all of these people, all these people follow its rules, right? That's the materialistic worldview because it doesn't believe in any kind of destiny. It doesn't believe that God is shaping history. It doesn't believe any of that, right? All it sees is like, oh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Abraham did have some kind of psychedelic experience, right? Maybe he ate like this mushroom that he didn't realize what he was doing, and it was like, whoa, right? Of course, that's how Sam Harris has to understand what, what happened here. Burning bush. That was a pretty good trip, Right? That's, that's the worldview. That's the mentality, right? And that, and that Christianity is now this really popular thing. Well, that's just an accident. And I, I, would, challenge, I would challenge you, though, because as believers, many believers hear this, and then they, they get challenged by a lot of these arguments. Why? Because it's fueling a worldview that they understand that makes sense. So when they hear these naturalistic arguments about the world, they're challenged. And they're in, in, the, in these universities where all these professors are saying, yeah, but there are all, all these mistakes in the Bible. And isn't it more likely that this happened? And they become challenged. Why? Because there's so little evidence of their lives of God moving. And I lovingly challenge you, you need to seek after God moving in a supernatural way in your life. I always say this is something that you should have an expectation of. And my question, if you do not have those experiences, whose fault is it? Lovingly, okay, it's our fault. It's our fault. Here's what we need to understand. This is not me bashing anybody here because we all grew up in this difficult environment to have faith, right? In our in our part of the world, anything that's supernatural is just immediately ridiculous, right? It's very difficult to have faith to see the supernatural when you've been so trained to be cynical and skeptical. And yet we see it all throughout Scripture over and over and over again. Every time miracles happen, Scriptures say that it's tied to the person's faith. Faith unlocks the supernatural in our lives. And there's got to be a sense in which we're seeking after this and believing that God can do it, right? And I'll tell you this, it requires risk. Okay, the reason why I challenge you, right, why I challenge you, go to mission strips, go to conferences, right, go to different things. I, when I was in high school, it was the faith of my Bible study teachers that really blessed me. Why? Because they heard that God was moving in a land far away called Toronto, right? And they went to Toronto, right? And my Bible, one of my teachers came back, right? And I tell the story. She had gold crosses in her teeth. I looked at them. And I was like, why? Right? She's like, I don't know. Right? But I got prayed for. And that night I looked in the mirror and there were these gold crosses in my teeth. 
and, I, and I saw it with my own eyes, and I was like, that's weird, right? And then another, my Bible study teacher, this guy was like, you know, he's a nominal Christian. People used to tell you he was like the party guy, right? Party, nominal Christian guy. And um, he went to this conference, and, and the speaker, you know, called out all his sins prophetically. <laughs> right? Just nailed him. But his life got radically changed. Radically changed, right? And he was one of the most influential people in my life. He's the one who came in and first prophesied. He gave me the first prophetic word over my life that completely floored me, right? I wept for like 10 minutes, right, as he prophesied over me. It's the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that, okay? What happened? The faith, it was people who loved me because they believed and they took risks to see God move. I got to experience some of that. Does that make sense? That's how this works. So that's why I don't say that if you haven't seen God move, it's your fault. No, it's our fault. Sammy says we have a corporate responsibility to this, right, to seek after God, to share our stories and our testimonies, right? This is, we're seeking after the Lord together to see him, but I'll tell you, it's very difficult to see miracles in the Western world. It, it's relatively rare. It's relatively rare, okay? That's why you have to take risks to go elsewhere to see. That's why you have to take risks to see people who have healing ministries. You have to take risks like this, right? Why? Because if you don't, then it's very difficult to shake the humanistic and the materialistic worldview, okay? In the, in the materialistic worldview, the idea is that history has been shaped by people with ideas, okay? Like somebody got this idea, right? Abraham had this idea. There's one God instead of lots of gods, right? And that became such a powerful idea that it, it, it changed the course of history, right? And, you know, Newton had this idea, wow, there's this thing called gravity, and, like, we can figure out how it works and all this kind of stuff. And, and that shaped all this, all this, the rest of history and stuff like that. But I want to tell you, the Bible has a different way of understanding things. The Bible doesn't say that people have ideas. The idea is that ideas have people. Okay? In the biblical understanding, there are spiritual powers that influence movements among humans through ideas. Let me put it to you another way, right? If you come regularly to BTM, you probably see the world a little bit more like me, right? Because I'm shouting at you all the time, the way I see the world, right? What happens? You become influenced by the way I see things, and now you feel like, oh, yeah, Pastor Dennis is a cool guy, right? Like, yeah, and yeah, we should seek revival on our campuses and stuff like that. And, and what, what's happening here? There's an idea that has gripped my heart, right? And I'm preaching, and now it's gripping your heart. Now it's moving you, right? But the whole biblical idea is that I'm being influenced by something, right? And this is, um, this is not something that's just biblical. This is something I, I've been listening to um, Jordan Peterson, who is a, um, a, a psychologist, um, a professor at Harvard and now at the University of Toronto. And he was quoting Carl Jung, and he was saying that this is exactly the, the idea that Carl Jung was, was espousing, this idea that ideas have people. And so it, it's these ideas that have been throughout history, and they've moved all these different people. And the idea is that this is how history has progressed, through these evolutions of ideas and movements. And that's exactly how I see things. Why pull in a certain mindset of human to universities? Because the universities are right now discipling people in a certain mindset of humanism, and that is becoming very influential in the world because of the influence of the universities. Does this make sense? It's this idea that there are these spiritual powers, and they're puppet masters behind the scenes, and they're, they're getting humans to argue and fight with each other about different ideas, and that the, pre the prevalent ideas have certain fruit that's born from it. 
Does this make sense? I understand this is a little bit heady. It's a little bit difficult to, to see, to think in the big picture like this. But I want to lovingly challenge you. It's not like a coincidence that 100 million people died from a little philosophy called socialism in the 20th century. It's not like this. It's just, how, why, why do wars happen? Well, I'll tell you why spiritual powers, right, are moving behind the scenes. When we understand that the spiritual realm is primary and that the material realm is secondary, it, it radically changes the way that we view the world and the way that we view our lives. Okay? All of a sudden, if we understand the materialistic world, if you can tell how people, how much people, because why? Because they're influenced by this idea of, I want a great life. And how do you see that? Well, I see this fame, money, power, comfort, these kind of things that are all about this life and this world. But if you're discipled in a biblical worldview, what happens? Your, your focus shifts. I don't want a great life now. I want a great life forever. All of a sudden, this idea that actually people can live forever and that our actions now will determine the quality of our life in the age to come. Right? It's a different way of thinking, our behavior. How do we act right now? Do we act in a way that just... You know, benefits us temporarily that makes us feel good now? Or do we have a worldview that's wholly set on God's will being done in the earth, right? These are, these are manifestations, pictures of what we actually believe inside. Am I making sense? To the degree that our mind is carnal, we take offense at God's word. We reject him, but I'll tell you what will happen. You will naturally embrace other ideologies and philosophies in your life. Because your mind is open to them. Does that make sense? There's warring philosophies, warring ideologies in the earth. Now Jesus says if we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we will have eternal life. But brothers and sisters, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, let's say there's, there's a couple ways, okay? Number one, it's clearly a reference to him going to the cross. When Jesus went on the cross, he poured out his blood, and his flesh was broken for a purpose. That was to redeem those who belonged to the kingdom of the world. See, again, this is weird, the way that we don't understand things. It's like, redeem what? But the way the Bible puts it is we belonged in some real legal way to a spiritual power that was not God. They're saying we belonged to them. Our allegiance was to them. But through his death, what happened is he paid the price for us to be bought and translated into God's kingdom. That's the idea. So when we swear allegiance to Jesus, and this is a point I always try and make. This idea that we need to believe in Jesus to be saved. I want to always stress that does not mean believe that he was a person and that he died and that he rose again. Those are factual understandings, but you have to understand the devil believes the same thing. That's not how you're saved. That language of belief in, it's really an ancient understanding of swearing allegiance to a deity. Okay, it's when we swear allegiance to Jesus, and that allegiance is manifested in our actions, that's what constitutes saving faith, okay? The faith without deeds is dead. It is primarily an issue of belief, but that's why scripture says over and over again that faith without deeds is dead. The deeds show the reality of our living faith in the lordship of Jesus in our lives. Does this make sense? 
Okay, why? Because we're translated into another kingdom. We're part of another spiritual kingdom now. That's the idea. But there's more to it. It's not just an initial saving act. There's also an ongoing sense of we must eat of Jesus continually. If you just eat once, I will tell you, you will die in your life. If you have one great experience of Jesus and you give your life to him, right, and it's real, I believe, absolutely I believe this, you can really give your life to him. But then what happens is you, you stop eating of him. I think this is exactly what John 15 warns us about, right? That if his words abide in us, we will continue bearing fruit. But if his words do not abide in us and we're found to have no fruit in our lives, then we're cut off and thrown into the fire, the idea is that we must continue to eat of Jesus, right? We must continue to eat of him. Now, what does that mean? I, I want to put it as simply as I can. I really think it means this. You must seek after wisdom. You must seek after wisdom, okay? And I know that's, this is very simplistic, but I also want us to look at Proverbs 132. It'll be on the board here. You can just look at the board. It says this. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is really important. I, I want to point this out. Because what you see is in the early chapters of Proverbs, and again it pops up in chapter 8, wisdom is personified as a person. Wisdom is crying out and saying, heed my words, listen to my words. I want to make the argument that that is the very same spirit of Jesus in the Old Testament. This idea that Jesus is saying, look, you must hear my words, and if you eat of them, that you're going to live forever. Jesus puts it in a number of different ways. He says, if anybody hears these words of mine and puts them into action, it's like a man who builds his house on a rock. Then the waves of life come and batter against the house, but the house stands. This is the idea that if you're receiving from Jesus, then your actions are creating a spiritual house for you that will persist after death. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a man who doesn't build his house on the rock. The idea is the rock is over here. But you're like, dude, but that sand is nice, right? It is so nice on, the, on that sand over there, right? And you're like, mm, yeah, you start to build your house on the sand. And what's happening? The wind and the waves of life. These are the, the trials, the testings of life come, and they destroy your house. They destroy your worldview. They destroy your old priorities. They destroy your hope. They destroy your love. They destroy all these different things in your life. Hear me, brothers and sisters. This is why scripture says in this life you will have tribulation. In this life you will have trouble. You think you've gone through some bad stuff? They're going to be more. Do you think you've gone through some bad stuff? I tell you, there's going to be more. Adulting is not easy. And I, I lovingly challenge you, the heart of this, look what, look what wisdom says here in verse 32. The waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. I want to lovingly suggest kill us. Our complacency when it comes to attaining wisdom 
will kill us. Our complacency. I'll tell you what complacency is. Complacency is a sense of, I'm good. I'm good as I am. Like, things are good. I don't really need that wisdom you're talking about. Because you're talking about something weird, Pastor Dennis. You're talking about angels and demons and spiritual kingdoms and revival and all that. That's weird stuff. No, that's God stuff. No, that's wisdom. I'm telling you the way God sees the world. To the degree that it's still weird for you, I want to lovingly challenge you. That's foolishness in your brain. And that foolishness will kill you. Because one day there'll come a test. And you'll be tested. Do I obey the Lord when it's hard? Or do I give in to a temptation that steals away my loyalty to Jesus? Why do I say this? Because I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again in people's lives. I've seen it happen so many times in my life. You know how it usually happens? Offense. I always say this, be careful about dating. Why? Because like half the people, more than half the people I know that have left the faith have left because of their own lack of wisdom in dating. And then they allowed bitterness to grow and increase. And I'll tell you what happens. When you have pain in your heart, you know who you naturally blame? You naturally blame God. God, why did you allow me to do this? Why didn't you get wisdom? I told you to get wisdom. But you made this happen, God. All right? I lovingly challenge you. Look at the way Scripture says that we're to seek this. Right? If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Let me put it to you another way. If I said there is a billion dollars, right, hidden under the floor here somewhere, y'all would be going nuts on this floor. I'll be running to Target or Walmart and buying pickaxes and destroying this place, right? Why? Because that's, it's so easy to get a billion dollars that way, right? Well, I'm going to say this lovingly. God is offering you something far more valuable than a billion dollars, but it takes faith to go after it. And that faith should produce an urgency in our hearts, right? I can tell you how this works. When you have that faith, this is the way it happens. You run into one of life's difficulties, one of life's hardships, and you go, God, I need more wisdom. This, this difficulty is humbling me like crazy. Gosh, I can't even do a three-day juice fast, God. God, I need more wisdom. I'll tell you what happens if you don't have that heart. You run into a hardship of life, and you start blaming everyone else around you. This is nature how this works. You don't see your lack of wisdom as the problem, right? You see the things that have caused hardship and difficulty in your life. It's that person's fault. It's those people's fault. It's God's fault. It's everyone else's fault except my lack of wisdom, okay? Now, hear me. The truth is that it's usually a combination, it's not just your lack of wisdom, but the problem is you live in a dark, fallen world. God's trying to tell you this. You live in a dark, fallen world, so bad stuff is going to happen to you. So seek wisdom so you know how to rightly respond to the bad stuff when it happens. And if you do, then God will bless you more than anyone can curse you. That's the promise. People can steal from you, 
But if you bless them, God can bless you more than they stole. Right? People can take all sorts of stuff from you. They can hurt you. They can offend you. They can belittle you. They can curse you. All this kind of stuff. But if your hope is in God and you respond correctly to it, then God promises that he'll bless you more than you've been cursed by others. That's the idea here, brothers and sisters. Now, on that day, your faith will be tested. The question is, will you have the wisdom to respond correctly? And I tell you, you can start now by applying God's wisdom to the ways that you've been hurt in your past. We don't have time to go into this. But I want to say this. Every single person needs to seek out inner healing in their life. I've sought out inner healing so many times in my life, I lose track. I just seek it all the time. Right? Every time I know I'm dealing with an irrational fear in my life, Lord, heal this, heal this place in my heart. Is there anyone that I need to forgive, Lord? Show me any place of unforgiveness in my heart. Right? I'm constantly seeking after inner healing. I, I challenge you, seek after it. And I'm going to close with this. I, I lovingly say this. This summer, you have an incredible opportunity to grow in wisdom. You do not have an incredible opportunity to play games, to watch movies, to go a day, that's what the rest of the world is doing. Right? How, how can we say that we are a people who follows hard after God when we have the time, but we don't choose to invest it in what Scripture says the most important things? I want to lovingly challenge you. If you've been doing a lot more personal entertainment this summer, I challenge you to have faith and to be like, God, I'm, I'm going to seek wisdom this summer. I'm going to seek after it. Because you need it, brothers and sisters. We need champions of the faith to arise in this generation. But I tell you, you must grow in wisdom. You must get more wisdom. You must understand the Lord's ways. You must seek after his heart. You must learn to love the place of intimacy with him. And I tell you, those are things that are not easy. You have to radically shift the way you do things. You have to go, God, I need you to transform me. And that's, that means diving in and seeking after the wisdom that comes from above. I am shocked very often at how biblically illiterate many Christians are, right? No. Look, let me say this. Don't rely on me to create a curriculum to train you. Go train yourself. You got all of YouTubes. You have a million podcasts. You realize you can listen to sermons that are better than mine. There's like hundreds of them. Do you realize we are living in an age where the spoken word has become just as easy to listen to as the written word now? It's just as transferable. It is a revolution in the way learning is done. Meaning, you don't have to sit through and read a whole book, although a lot of wisdom is found in books. You should read them. We have an entire library that is there to spoon-feed you wisdom if you take advantage of it. But I'll tell you, I listen to podcasts all the time. Washing dishes once a month. Listen to podcasts. <laughs> Driving in the car, I'm listening to podcasts, right? Why? Because there's such a wealth of wisdom now that you can do while you're doing mindless tasks. Utilize it. Don't let yourself stay in a place where you're like, I'm content to be the, I'm content to be the way that I am. No, have a spirit that is challenging and going, God, 
I want this to be the most blessed summer of my entire life, God. I'm going to seek hard after wisdom. Create your own study groups. Hear me. This is the big, this is one of the big failings of our culture, okay? The strength, one of the strengths of our culture is that we listen to leaders. One of the weaknesses of our culture is we're paralyzed without leaders telling us what to do, okay? I challenge you, you create your own study groups. You create your own Bible studies. Oh, there's no Bible study right now. I guess I can't study the Bible. No, you have one another. Create your own Bible studies. Leaders, I'm talking to you right now, okay? Be a leader. Being a leader is not having a title. Live up to your title. Utilize whatever influence you've been given to say, I am going to take, I'm, I'm going to refuse to let my community, my group of friends be complacent this summer. I refuse to just stay and just get better at Fortnite. Okay? I pray that the, your greatest ambition this summer is not to just get, you know, a little bit better at Fortnite, but it's to have real vision to grow and understanding. Hey, challenge me. You know, I love being challenged theologically. I dare you. I dare you to come up with something that will challenge me theologically. I love that. Oh, some of you are like, oh, I'm going to get you, Pastor Dennis. I like that. Right? I dare you. Challenge me. Why? I love being and ignorant, and I challenge you. You can learn. You don't have to be an ignorant believer. You can become an expert in the Bible. You don't have to wait till you're 50. You can be an expert right now. I'm telling you, if you decide to study a theological issue like crazy, if you decide to study a particular portion of Scripture like crazy, in like a month, you can become like an expert on that one portion. You become an expert if you have the vision to do it. I lovingly challenge you. Don't be complacent because then you will never, you will never get the wisdom that Scripture talks about. Worship team, come on up. God's been putting on my heart over the past couple weeks for leaders to arise. And hear me, I'm not, I'm not just speaking of people with titles in our group. I'm speaking to anyone with vision for more of God, okay? I challenge you, go hard after God and bring people along with you, okay? Look, when I was in college, I was part of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We had a small group. It was the worst small group of all time. It's terrible. They forced me into the small group. And I was like, look, I love these people, but I need, I need to make my own small group. I made my own small group, okay, with people who are running hard after God, okay? I challenge you, do whatever you need to do to put yourself in a position where you're going to thrive. Where you're, you, I always want to be surrounded by people who are really chasing after the Lord. I want to be surrounded by people whose faith challenges me. I challenge you, do the same thing. Do the same thing. Be like, bro, let's, let's seek after God together. Will you join me every morning to pray together? Will you join me to study the scriptures? You challenge one another. You make the decision that in your friendship group, you guys are going to run harder after God than anybody else in BTM. I lovingly challenge you to do that. That's the spirit of our BTM cup. It's not a, it's not a jealous competition, right? It's a loving competition. And I, my brain it just thinks like that. Stand up.
It is my ambition that God raises up from Burning Tree Ministry people that will be leaders in this next generation for the kingdom. I'll tell you, it's already been happening. Every year we send away like a bunch of people who go on to become ministers and missionaries in other places. We send along people who have great faith, who are challenging other people in the body. I don't even know how many pastors we've sent out of here at this point. We sent out a lot of pastors. I challenge you, look, you don't have to be a pastor, but you have to be somebody who is influencing others for righteousness, right? And right now, I just want to commend you. There's so many of you that are already doing that on your college campuses, in your other fellowships that you're a part of. I want to commend you. Good job. Now say, God, I need to go to the next level of wisdom in this hour. I need more wisdom. I need to understand your ways. I don't want to be influenced by the world. I don't want to be stumbled every time I watch a TV show or every time that one person talks to me. God, I want a wisdom that's so solidified that my faith remains strong day by day, that I'm not going like a roller coaster every week. I come Sunday, and then by Tuesday, my faith is at zero. No, I want a faith that's able to carry your word with me all the time, where I'm having a strong faith. I'm passionate week to week. I'm going harder and harder after you. I'm pressing in every season of my life to know you more, to be more intimate. Worship leaders, it's time to go to a new level of intimacy with God. It's time to gain a new level of anointing. If you're a worship leader or you want to be one, come up right here. Right here. You want to be a worship leader or you are right now. Come on up here. You guys stay in the group. Just start to pray for one another. You want me? 